my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I just have to say thank you. That, that's the first time we've done that song, right? In a while. Well, it was new to me, um, but, but I love that song. Uh, I love that word, alleluia. Hopefully, Jesus is king of your life. And so I love that song, singing about him being king and on his throne. Um, but sometimes you don't know how to express it. That's why I love the word alleluia. It only means just that. Praise you, God. Worship to you because um, he is worthy. And so thank you, worship team, for leading us that way. Um, let me pray as we start. Lord Jesus, we are here because you are worthy. We are here because, Jesus, you went to that cross and you died to pay the penalty for our sins. And then you rose from the dead victorious. And now you give life to us because of what you've done. You impart to us righteousness that we can never have on our own. Um, so we thank you, we love you, and we are here to worship. We ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a couple pictures here to start out with. This is going to be a quiz. Rolex. Which one is the counterfeit? Which one is the genuine? That's really a good picture. Now, when I was in, in uh, college, we would go to Mexico some, and you could get a Rolex or an Oakley uh, counterfeit, but nobody knew the difference, so you looked really cool with it. So, quiz. Hands up. Is this one fake? R raise your hands if you think this one's the fake one, the counterfeit. All right? Who thinks this one's the counterfeit? Who has no clue? <laughs> okay, awesome. I don't either. Uh, next one. <laughs> All right. Which one of these is real? Which one of these is counterfeit? Mm. You cannot hold it up to the light. <laughs> Study it for just a minute. All right. Who thinks the one on top is the counterfeit? Hands up. Oh, my goodness. Okay, a couple. Who thinks the one on the bottom is counterfeit? Okay, why? Okay, so many people see something. Why? The coloring's off. The coloring's off? Okay, I think you're right, actually. The bottom one is the counterfeit. Um, well, there you go. So our culture now, we can get rid of that picture, has many, I mean society, we have a lot of, of forgeries, a lot of counterfeits in, in many things, and one of those things is truth. A lot of things out there are disguising themselves as of God and aren't. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that counterfeit truth. You know, we, uh, we're going to do something this morning we don't normally do. So if you're new to Common Ground or you're visiting, this is not normal, and here's what I mean by that. Normally... We take a passage of scripture and we teach it because the, the scripture is our authority. And so we take it, we say, what does this mean? How does this apply to us? And sometimes there's a, a topic in, in society going that we need to address. And so we'll, we'll grab one passage, though, and teach that because that's the authority. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to jump all over the place. And there's a reason for that. But here's the warning. There's also some danger in that. Because churches, a lot of times, or teachers will jump around just to support what they want to say. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, but I'm going to do it this morning. <laughs> um, so watch out. Um, but there's a reason, and here's the reason. We had planned our series that we were going to go through starting next week, uh, core about who God has made us as a church, where God wants to take his church. It's going to be awesome. You don't want to miss it. But with everything happening in society, it was a couple weeks ago, I said, I need to do something different today. 
Um, and now with all the things that happened this past week, I think it's even more applicable to look at this topic today. And it is how do we determine the truth from the counterfeit when it comes to the things of God? Now, we could talk about masks. Do they work? Do they don't? I don't, you know, you got either side on that. We're not gonna, I'm not going to help you understand that truth. But I do want to help you understand the truth of somebody claiming something is from God. There's a couple tools where we can go, is it or isn't it? And we need to be able to do this because often, I mean, look at history. There are counterfeits that come and lead people astray and, and lead people astray to the point of even death, away from God possibly. And so here's our question. How can we discern whether something is of God or not? And we're going to do it by answering two questions. Now, a couple examples from my lifetime. There's been more than once uh, where somebody has come out with the date that Jesus is going to return. And, and they had really good biblical arguments. Um, or the, these uh, people who I would listen to, really good teachers uh, you know, with the word. And then they'd say, oh, and we cracked the code of scripture with the numbers or whatever and came up with something. And a lot of people were led to these things, led astray. And, of course, the day would come and Jesus didn't come back because the Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour. But there's a lot of things out there floating right now. Uh, the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. Maybe you've heard that one. Um, there's several other things. Um, Trump is God's chosen person. And because of election fraud, God's will was thwarted. That's another one that I've been reading lately. Um, that God, what he wanted to do didn't happen. Meaning God is not strong enough or powerful enough to do what he wanted to do. And those are just two right now. But how can we discern truth from falsehood? Here's the first question. How do my feelings and emotions reveal if something is of God or not? This is a horrible question. <laughs> it really is. And here, here's why it's a horrible question. Maybe you've been to a Bible study, and you sit down and you read a passage, and then you ask the question, how does this make you feel? That's the worst way to do Bible study. Because our feelings can be all over the place. But here's the truth. Don't we make decisions based on feelings? Don't we make decisions a lot of times based on emotions? And the things happening right now, don't they stir up some emotions in us? They, they do. And so I, I want to ask this question. How do my feelings and emotions reveal if something is of God or not? Well, here's the fact. Our emotions are often dominated by our flesh. And so here's what I mean by that. When we surrender to Jesus as Lord, something happens. Before we have Jesus as Lord of our life, we are dominated by our flesh. We are dominated by sin. Flesh means not just what you touch, but also your, your mind. So we, our flesh, we are born separated from God. That's the great news about the gospel, is that Jesus came, we were born apart from God, and Jesus stepped in, gave his life so we can then be reconciled to God. But something happens when we're reconciled back to God by placing our faith in Jesus as Lord, a battle begins. Because the Holy Spirit then indwells us, but he leaves us in our flesh. And now we have a battle between flesh and spirit. Anybody know that battle? Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> you want to, I mean, Paul talks about you want to do what's right, but you, you also want to do what's wrong. And so there's this battle of who's going to be in control. And our emotions initially, inherently, are of our flesh. Proverbs 28, 26 says this. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. 
And James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write in his book, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He wants to give you generously of his spirit so you can discern. Ask God for wisdom. But our heart, if you trust your heart, it says you're a fool. I had a, a good friend years ago, a Mormon friend, and we would get together and we would talk and share life together. He was a good friend. And we would get to the deep truths of the Bible. And he said he believed the Bible, and then we shared some stuff. And I said, but what you're saying you believe is contrary to what the Bible teaches. And he says, I have a burning in my bosom that it's true. I said, but let's add all this stuff up. Let's look at all these things. And he says, but I feel it's true. I said, well, your feelings could be wrong. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord, he comes into our heart and some changes take place, but our heart still can be deceived and still can be drawn in other ways. And so here's my point. Your feelings and emotions are not a trustworthy discerner of truth. They're not. It, and so if you're, emo, if you're feeling something, take a step back. <laughs> Spend some time in prayer. But our feelings and emotions are not valid or trustworthy discerners of truth. And here's the thing about our flesh and our emotions is they can be manipulated. And so here's why I wanted to talk about this. There are things out there that claim to be of God trying to get us to do things by appealing to certain emotions or by stirring up certain emotions that are not of God. And so what's the answer? In this battle, you know, what is our answer with the emotions and with everything happening? Well, Thursday night, we have a class called Abiding in Christ. And so that's where we go to. And that's where we always go to here at Common Ground. And I think, you know, as you understand the Bible, it's where you have to go to. How do we live? By abiding in Jesus. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Here's the point. We have emotions and all these things. We can be drawn with those or we can abide in Jesus. We still have emotions and feelings. But as we abide, meaning we cling tightly to Jesus, he then has control. Abide means to live in, just like the vine and the branches. You know, what does a branch do? It just holds on to the vine. That's all a branch really does. You know, I have an apple tree. You know, what is the, does the branch produce fruit? Not really. It just holds on to the trunk, and the trunk through the nutrients then produces that. So our main job as Jesus followers is to do this with Jesus, to, to hold tightly to him and let him produce in and through us. And as we abide, we can trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can then better discern as we are abiding. And so why do we go here? Uh, as people are deceived, and often Christians are deceived by things, uh, and I've seen it over and over in my lifetime, friends and acquaintances and others in the church and, and outside the church who claim to be Christians, they, they're led astray, and every time so far, when we get to talk, I say, are you spending more time with Jesus and, and in his word or more time on whatever it is? The answer is almost always whatever this other thing is, whether it's social media, whether it's a certain theological bent, and they're listening to pastors and teachers more than Jesus leading this certain way. Abiding means Jesus is our first and primary influence, not somebody else, not something else, not a book, not a pastor, not uh, an agenda, but Jesus. And so abiding is the answer. 
Now, there's another way of saying abiding. Paul will say it this way, walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit and abiding are really kind of the same thing. Uh, walk in the Spirit, meaning walk hand in hand with Jesus. He's in control. Uh, he would say in, in there, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The point is, if you're, you're drunk, you know, a lot of people go to that, that's the main point, and we shouldn't be drunk, but that's not the main point of that verse. It is as, you know, when you're drunk, you're controlled by alcohol. As you walk in the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit of God. And so we walk in the Spirit, same as abiding. As we do that, God produces some things in us. In Galatians 5, through 23, we see this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So here's the test. Things are coming at us. We're feeling things. What are we feeling? If we are abiding in Christ... These are the things that God will produce in us. These aren't the things that we go work hard to produce. These are just the fruit that he produces as we abide. So here's a test. Is something of God or not? People, organizations, whatever, churches, pastors even, will try and appeal to negative emotions, try and manipulate those to get a response. Have you ever been in a setting where somebody tries to guilt you into giving money? Well, if somebody's trying to do that, don't. Go home, pray about it, and then maybe give later. But that's not how God works. By, you know, I'm going to guilt you into giving. Or, or I've heard of churches where, uh, you know, they pass the plate, and then there's not enough, so they pass it back through again. You know, but there's this kind of manipulating rather than abiding and letting God do his thing. So, of God or not. Of God. Proof you're abiding. Love, joy, peace, patience, purpose in God's mission. Not of God. Hate, depression, anxiety, fear, anger, passivity, guilt. So a lot of times, something will appeal to these emotions to get you to do something. Guess what? God would not appeal to those emotions. He would not. He wants to produce these other things in you, love, joy, peace, peace, despite circumstances. So as we talk about the abundant life, that's what he wants. He produces these things in us even when things are really tough. And let's be honest, in our country right now, things are really tough. But even though things are tough, he wants to produce in us love, joy, peace, hope, confidence in him, all these wonderful things, rather than fear, hate. You know, things right now, right? It's, people become the enemy. Well, Scripture says people are not the enemy. People are victims of the enemy. And so can we look at people opposite of us, wanting to do in many horrible things, and actually love them. Doesn't mean we don't do something about things, but a heart of love toward them. That's what the Spirit produces in us as we belong, as we walk with Him. How about this verse? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? You know, I, I can tell you, as we abide, God produces those things. In 2008, when the financial crash happened, um, and, and we were not paying our mortgage, I mean, everything was bad. Um, through that, God produced, I mean, there was times of, of worry and stress and, and, and all these emotions. And then God kind of said, hey, get your act together. Leaned on him. We didn't have money, but then we had peace, joy. When Lydia fell on her head, went to the hospital, couldn't, didn't know her name, couldn't really walk. I mean, all these things, and Callie calls, and I'm driving to the hospital. 
and I'm, I'm crying out, you know, emotional. I'm crying out to God. I'm, I am scared. Uh, I'm, I'm worried. All these things. But in the midst of it, he gave me peace that surpasses understanding. He, he didn't give me the confidence that she'd turn out okay, but she did. Um, <laughs> he, but he did give me peace that he was still in control. That's what he does despite circumstances. And I can go on with lists of not doing it in my own life and lists of doing it. Or, or I can look at examples of, of a, a Christian who gets a flat tire and then blows up. Oh, God hates me. While somebody else has multiple cancers in their family and, and walks in joy and peace. These are the things God produces as we abide in him. And so my question is, how are your emotions? I mean, how are all the, are you, are you fearful right now? Are you angry? Do you feel hate? Here, abide in Christ. Lean on him and then let him have control. And then we'll better be able to discern. And that moves to our next question. How can we discern God's truth among the lies? How can we discern? So we have all these things coming at us. How can we tell? Biggest thing here, Hebrews 1, 2. Little context on this. Uh, this you know, Paul is teaching here. Uh, and he's telling the people, in past days, God spoke through his prophets. Prophets would come in the time of, of Israel and say, thus saith the Lord. But here's his response now. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The point is this. God no longer speaks through the prophets the way he did in the Old Testament because Jesus is God in flesh. So God, he sent prophets, hey, and they would come say, hey, God says this, this saith, saith the Lord. Finally, in Jesus, God took on flesh and, and said, here I am, which was his final revelation. Now, can there be prophecies and, and things? You know, that's something up for debate. But it doesn't operate the way it used to. Everything now, Jesus is that final revelation. Here's the point. Anything contrary to what he would say is wrong. And where do we find what Jesus says? And where do we find... Not just what he says, but what others say, empowered by him. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Scripture is the basis for all truth claims about God. Scripture. Nothing else. Not tradition. Not visions or prophecy. Scripture. If anything disagrees with Scripture, it's incorrect. Uh, the Bible here, I, I mean, I don't have time to get into it. Um, this is miraculous what we have. We have confidence that what is written is what was originally written 2,000 years ago and beyond. There are so many copies, ancient manuscripts in different languages found on different continents all brought together that agree. And it's never been proven false in anything. We can trust what is written here. This is our authority. Again, not tradition, not something else, but scripture is our authority. So compare all truth claims to scripture. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. Scripture. There is, a, and has been for decades and decades, a way of, of reading things that, that is different. So who determines the meaning of anything written? The reader or the writer? This is a big 
thing in our country even right now. Who determines the truth of something written? The person who wrote it or the person reading it? Well, the person who wrote it. And the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write what they wrote in here. And it can only mean what they intended it to mean in context during that time. It cannot mean anything else. And so, here at Common Ground, this is why we always do, always except for today, uh, go through one scripture because we want to see the context. And whoever's teaching does the work of studying what is the, who is the writer, who are the readers, why were they writing it, what response were they trying to get out of their readers. That's what it means. And then we have applications now, in our day and age, absolutely. But it cannot mean anything other than what the original writer intended it to mean. And this is where we've gotten off. This is where uh, the, the, the Protestant church in the U.S. in large part has gone off because they've looked at culture and said, oh, culture is moving. We need to move. And the only way they can do that is by either denying the authority of Scripture or trying to change it. The only way someone who claims to be a Christian can support the new sexual morality that, that we have in our culture is to deny the authority of Scripture or to try and change it. And if somebody is finding new meanings in Scripture that weren't there before, it's probably wrong. And so my question for you, when you go to Scripture, do you go to find support for what you want to believe? Or does it determine truth in your life? I can't tell you how many times, you know, somebody wants to believe something, and, and I have a conversation or somebody else does, here's what Scripture says. And then they go to somebody else. Oh, I have this question. Well, here's what Scripture says. And finally, the seventh person tells them what they want to hear, and they go that way. Do we go to the word to actually be taught that he's the authority, or do we want to bring our own things and read what we want to read into it? Big mistakes have been made when people claim to have visions or, or, or ideas or whatever that are contrary to Scripture. That's how all the cults have been formed, just so you know. They've had visions and things that are close, close to Scripture, but just a little bit off. The Jericho March. Maybe you're familiar with that march that happened a few weeks ago. In the name of Jesus, there were people claiming visions. And one of the organizers of that march, in the name of Jesus, he said this. He said, when God gives you a vision, you don't need to know anything else. I can tell you this right there. That's not of God. Because God's final revelation is in Jesus, and we see that in Scripture. So if somebody says, I have a vision, and that's authoritative, no, it's not. Let's compare it to Scripture. Scripture is authoritative. And in a lot of these movements now, in the name of Jesus, there's visions and things that are contrary to Scripture and stirring people back to the emotional thing of hate and anger and fear and all these things, which is not of God. And we were warned. 2 Corinthians. Paul warned us that this would happen. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, Paul is, is referring to these types of people, and he says, For such men are false apostles deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So these, these other prophets claiming things contrary to Scripture, he says, no, it's, it's done in Christ. And those inspired by the Holy Spirit were able to write Scripture. Nobody can write Scripture anymore. There are not apostles as there were in Jesus' time. The canon, it's what we call this, is sealed. It's done. There's no new revelation. 
But, as he says, some will come and they'll, like Satan, who can, can look like an angel of light. They will deceive. And so these things sound good and they sound godly and they'll draw many of us astray. But if we stick to scripture in context, then he'll lead us. And there's the other warning. You know, as you see right now, I'm a little bit uh, excited because I'm excited for us to follow Christ. I'm excited for us to, to expose the lies of the enemy and then walk. You know, in scripture it says, do not uh, be deceived and, and be warned. Satan is going to come and is going to deceive. And so we are not caught unaware. Here's one example of a verse that is being taken out of context and drawing people in a certain way. It's 2 Corinthians 7.14. You've probably seen this lately. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's 2 Chronicles 7.14. We don't have that one? That's all right. Let me read it again. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And here's how that scripture is being used. That if we cry out to God, he will heal our land, meaning America. And I started hearing this over and over and over. And so I actually read a couple books and, and, and listened to some things to try and understand why people would believe this way. And there is a tradition in America that, that we are some kind of a promised land like Israel in the Old Testament. That there's something special, uh, that God's favor is on us, and we need to get back to that. And the way we do it is, is by this, praying this. Well, here's the thing about this passage. This was written to Israel. This was from God to Israel in the context of Solomon. He built the temple. You know, this was long before the church. So these were God's people. He built the temple. God was going to come in the temple, his presence in the temple. And this was under the Mosaic law where they obey, they're blessed, they disobey, they, they go toward idolatry and ignore the Sabbath and those things, they'll be exiled, which would happen later. But his whole point was here, when you stray away under the Mosaic covenant, under the Mosaic law, then cry out to me and I will heal. And you see that happening throughout the whole Old Testament. That is not a promise made to the church. Should we pray? Yes. So we have many other verses we can look. You know, cry out to God, pray, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we have many, yes, we should pray. We should pray for our leaders. You know, the New Testament talks about that. Pray for your government. Pray for your leaders. We should do all that. But we don't have the promise that if we do these things, we're going to be restored back to some blessed state. And many in our country believe that. And so that's being used to, to draw Christians into trying to force something political. And so there's this Christian nationalism that confuses politics with the kingdom of God. I hope that's resonating a little bit. That we as the church are the kingdom, separate from any nationality. The kingdom of God is the church all over the world. Russia, China, I mean, go down the list. And so, yes, we need to do things, we need to vote, we need to be involved, but our hope is in Christ. He is where we stand, and as we understand scripture in context, we can better navigate all these things happening. And so here's that last point you need to know. Study and know your Bible. Study and know your Bible. So in conclusion, how do we recognize the counterfeits? 
Abide in Christ. That's number one. Abide in Christ. Cling tightly to him. If you find yourself getting emotionally just drawn, whoop, time out, come back to Christ and find his truth in scripture. Is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? Study your scripture. You'll see it can't be. That's one of those things of just read the Bible, and you'll see in here, uh, nobody is going to accidentally take the mark of the beast and go to hell. Um, but that's one of those things. Oh, if you accidentally take it, you're going to be destined for hell. We're saved by Jesus, his death and resurrection on the cross. And our faith in him is secure. And we can go through the list of, of, of other non-truths, other counterfeits out there, but we don't have time. My goal today was not to tell you what to think, but hopefully to give you the tools of, of how to think biblically um, and navigate. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the authority, not any pastor, um, not any other leader. God, that you are the authority. I thank you, Jesus, that you, you lay out in your word very clearly um, how we are to live. I thank you that, that you give us hope, you give us confidence, you give us joy and peace in the midst of turmoil. God, we, we do want peace in our land, and we ask for that. God, we do ask that, that you would, would heal what is happening in our country. God, that there would be less hate, less divisiveness. Go down the list. We ask for you to influence our leaders. But at the same time, we thank you that we have confidence in you, that apart from all that, you are still in control. You, you are still the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. We have eternal security in you. And you are still doing great things right now here in this country, here in this church, in other churches in this town. And we trust you. We love you and we thank you. God, I do ask for a, a heart of worship. God, that we can be thankful as we go and we sing these last couple songs, that our hearts would pour out of, of gratefulness to you of the life that you give, not based on works, but on faith in Jesus alone. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.